Welcome to the Supported Living Property Podcast with your host, me, Lisa Brown, the place to learn about supported living property investing. Hello, before we get started, I just wanted to let you know about something I've created to help you. The Supported Living Property Network is a place to bring together property investors with property to lease and providers who are looking to lease property. We have regular networking events where you can meet people in your area and a special community where you can connect and chat. It's a place for you to learn more about supported living property and keep up to date with monthly training events and training courses. To find out more, please go to www.lisabrown.uk or follow the link in the show notes. In this episode, Julie Fadden explains how, during COVID, she pulled together a range of different agencies to house 2,000 people experiencing homelessness into long-term furnished tenancies. To this date, only 18 of these 2,000 people have not maintained their tenancy. Julie shares how working in a different way enabled this amazing success. She talks about learning points from the experience and has some suggestions for all of us to take forward into practice. Hi, Julie. It's great to have you here today. How are you? I'm fine, sweetheart. How are you? You all right? Yeah, no, I'm good. Thank you. I'm good. For people who don't know you, do you want to introduce yourself and tell people a bit about you? Yeah, I'm Julie Fadden. I run my own company, Be Authentic Limited, and that's to help organisations become the best that they can be, whether it's getting the most out of their employees, about policy reviews, structural reviews, um, service reviews, anything predominantly around the housing, but also about leadership and, and motivational management of employees and customer engagement. So there's a whole range of stuff that I do. Um, but I, I've been in public service <clears throat> about 42 years. And I've, I've kind of been in local government. I've been in housing associations and I've virtually done every job from being on the counter at 17 to being a chief executive of a housing association. So I've covered the full spectrum, really, of what needs to happen in order to get the proper and, and decent service provision to the customer because they, they deserve it, you know. And we all use services and we all want to get the best out of those services. And I'm passionate about making sure that people get the social justice they're entitled to. I'm, I'm passionate about people getting the best out of their lives that they can and my mantra is that we're all on this earth to leave it better than when we found it that means every life we touch every person we meet should be better for having had our involvement and if we're not doing that then there's something wrong and if, you, if your team isn't doing that then there's something wrong and that's where I can step in and, and help organizations amazing so so much experience to draw upon yeah. but we need to talk about something specific aren't we a specific project that you're involved in do you want to tell me a little bit about that and talk about that for us yeah I've got the sniffles today so excuse <laughs> me um yeah in, in in April 20 um when the first lockdown started um I just had an idea because my city uh, has had the worst cuts of any local authority in the country over the years and we were then faced with the everyone in policy that the government have brought in that said everybody that's currently street homeless need to be put up in a hotel and to be frank my sister didn't have the money to, to pay for that you know and the government was a bit loathing coming forward with the money they needed so we were faced with a real dilemma of, of having this unbudgeted huge cost and at the same time 
I was aware that as, as the chief executive of the Housing Association, while all the offices were shut of all housing associations, we had all these properties being stockpiled that weren't being let. And I just made the connection that if we just work with the city to match our homeless people to the properties, then we will wipe out the need for the, the money that would be spent as dead money on hotels. And, and that's what we did. So um, first of all, I engaged with my peers who were already chief executives of housing associations across Merseyside. And, and I spoke to them about you know, the potential for us to do this project. And they supported me as long as I was leading it, which was, which was fine because I was happy to do that in my own time. I then got in touch with a couple of people who were really good organisationally in housing, two directors from two different organisations that are willing to give of their own time to manage the property end, so the property matching end. And then we engage with Whitechapel Crisis and um, the YMCA in Liverpool uh, because they're the predominant homeless charities in Liverpool. And we engage with them and they had all their clients. So we basically said to the city, look, let's work with you. Let's help you lead this. And, and then I took the lead as the lead officer on behalf of the, the registered providers, the, the social landlords. I took the lead on behalf of them to represent their interests and make sure that the properties were allocated properly. So essentially, I then said to the homeless charities and, and, and the people leading those organisations, we need you to give us your lists, bring us your people. You know who is homeless. You know who are in hotels and bed and breakfasts and hostels. Give us all your people. And when you give us the people, we need to know the family makeup. We need to know whether they're a single person or a family of five or whatever it might be, and the ages of the children, because we need to make sure that we adequately house people. But we also need to know what areas they want to live in, because <clears throat> it's absolutely pointless. If I'm representing the social landlords, it's absolutely pointless. Just, just put a homeless person into any property without them having any choice because they won't stay and if they don't stay then that property then becomes void again and the person ends up back on the streets and all we're doing is churning these people and properties and every time we change a property it would cost us around three thousand pounds to get it ready to be let for the next person so there seemed no sense in not properly matching people and there seemed no sense to me or the other social landlords if we didn't give these people choice then this thing wouldn't survive. And all we'd be doing is wasting a load of money. Um, we weren't there to be wasting public money. It was about saving public money. So we also decided that <clears throat> we couldn't just put these people in a box. We couldn't just say, right, okay, you know, you can have 31 Acacia Avenue. It's a three-bed house and it's got no furniture. So it's tough. So we had to agree to furnish the properties. And one of the barriers we had was that the way the city officers had, had done that in the past, is that they said, well, okay, we'll give them furniture, but we won't give them towels and all the other stuff. And I said, well, how can you put a homeless person in a house and, and they just haven't got bedding and towels? I mean, you know, honestly, you know, what are they going to do? R roll around on the floor to get dry. So they're some of the kind of practical things that I was kind of questioning. And I was like, I suppose like the Empress New Clothes, I was like the little lad in the corner, they go, well, why are we doing that then? Why are we doing it like that? Why, why, why would we treat these people any differently than the way I treat my own family? You know, so if I was setting my kids up in a house 
Well, I would expect them to have everything they needed to live mm. the life independently. Otherwise, what's the point? Mm. So, and you know, so we started from that premise. And so the, the baselines for me were they had to have choice that we would give them up to three offers because, you know, maybe the first offer for whatever reason wouldn't be the right one, wouldn't be close to the school or whatever it might be. So, the, you know, we would give them choice of area, you know, subject to the being social housing in those areas. I mean, we did have some, you know, there's a really nice part of Liverpool called Calderstones. And we did have some people say, well, I want Calderstones. Well, we all want Calderstones, but, you know, we just can't afford it. So if there's no social housing there, well, in that sense, you're going to have to pick somewhere where there is because, mm. you know, we can't just wave a magic wand. So what we then did was we said, OK, we've got all the homeless charities pulling together all the people in a big spreadsheet. And we had these two officers, these two wonderful people, Julie and Kathy, who then pulled together all the properties in a big property spreadsheet. And then we started doing the matching and Julie and Kathy would be doing the matching every single night of the year. And we did this for 18 months and <clears throat> every night without fail, at nine o'clock, these two women would go on. And they'd have a Zoom call like this and they'd do the matching. And then they would liaise with the various social landlord contacts to say, these are the properties, these are the these are the matches we've made. Um, the people will be viewing. So your staff will arrange a viewing for these people to go and view. Each of these homeless people would have a support worker anyway. So that support worker would go out and do the accompanied viewing with them. And we would then find out, you know, when they could move in. And generally, it was pretty straight away. And then Julie would be the one that would order the furniture. And we had to raise a million pounds for furniture that, you know, we had to raise the funds to pay for the furniture because there just wasn't the money there. So we 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 bid to the government. We bid to, you know, the, the social landlords came up with, you know, a quarter of a million pounds towards it, you know. So, you know, everybody kind of just put the hand in the pocket to see what we could do in order to make this fly. So getting the furniture was key. And then we partnered up with the Furniture Resource Centre in, in Liverpool, which is a fantastic organisation. And we partnered up with them and they, you know, installed, put together the flat pack furniture, there's flat pack furniture. And so Julie liaised with them that, you know, Mrs Jones is moving in on the 1st of March and they were there on the 1st of March to move in with everything. And they got the blinds, they got the curtains, they got the flooring, they got the white goods. They got all the furniture they needed, the bed and the towels, the cutlery, everything they needed. And, you know, they just literally needed to move in with their clothes and their family and, and a bag of food and, and it's home. So that was the intention. And that's what was achieved. And in 18 months, we had over a thousand properties and we took over 2000 adults and children that were previously homeless off the streets for good in permanent furnished tenancies and we gifted wow. the furniture because what we didn't want to do was we didn't want people to then be in furniture poverty because they couldn't get a job because the rent would be too high mm -hmm. paying for the proportion of furniture service charge so we gifted the furniture so that that wouldn't be a barrier to them finding work and you know people have found employment we, we partnered up you know to get them some employment training so people have had that opportunity to actually just rebuild their lives and you know work with the families work with the agencies that were there we provided ongoing support for at least six months if they needed it so the homeless agency said well we'll provide the support you provide the properties we'll provide the support and and that makes sure that people 
are helped. And it wasn't just the people who were in the homeless hostels that we helped. We helped domestic violence sufferers. We helped um, people coming out of the armed forces that, that, you know, for whatever reason, we helped people coming out of prison. We helped, um, you know, refugees. We we helped people coming out of long-term local authority care. So, so, you know, care leavers, young people that were coming out of care. And some of those young people had children themselves. Hmm. And, you know, it, it, you know, when they get to 16, they're just giving them marching orders, really. And sometimes we lose sight of that. And it's really important that we've got that safety net. And what the project provided was that safety net across everybody. So everybody that was hit with that crisis in that period were supported and they were lifted out of that situation into a permanent furnished tenancy. And, and it's changed lives. And I mean, that's I was going to ask about the support side of things, because obviously you can dump somebody into a property, can't you? But if they've got quite complex needs, then that's not necessarily going to work. They're not going to be able to maintain that tenancy. But you found that by giving that support, that's enabled that to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 the support, but the, the key really, the key thing for me was giving people choice. All mm. human beings want choice, don't they? Mm. So that they want to know, what you know, they want choice about where they want to live, what they want to do with their lives. And just because you haven't got a roof over your head, it doesn't change the fact that you need choice. Mm. And so giving them that meant that we could sustain people in those tenancies. And out of those over 2,000 people that we housed, only 18 people, reverted back to street homelessness wow that's an amazing figure that's that's because you do it right you see you know my old dad with a picture of him behind you know used to say there's only one way to do it and that's the right way so there's no point wasting time and money faffing around doing things the wrong way you do it right first time and you box it off and you get it sorted and you get people into the position they need to be in to live their lives fruitfully and that's what we did and, and by keeping that line, by being passionate about not compromising on choice and giving people that advocacy and that ongoing support, only 18 people reverted back to the streets. And that was largely because they couldn't settle. They, you know, mm-hmm. it, people get used to a way of life and, you know, they needed ongoing complex support needs. And, you know, Sometimes that just happens. But 18 out of over 2,000 isn't, you know, isn't a bad figure. No, it's phenomenal. Um, and what's the long term impact of that been? Has that has that changed the way things are done within the local authority? Has it made things work in a different way going forward, having seen the benefit in the way this has worked? Well, I think the way we were working was difficult for the local authority because they have a legal responsibility to conduct lettings in a fair and equitable way. Mm. And obviously, during this period, we had to suspend the choice-based letting system. And and that was a need because we had to help these homeless people. Mm. So for a period, for this 18-month period, we suspended use of the choice-based letting system. And that was needed in, in a number of ways. But the main reason was because homeless people generally don't get first pick of the properties on 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 that kind of system Mm. so you know the choice element just isn't there and it's just you get what's what you're given you get what no one else wants to live in and and that's why that wouldn't be sustainable so in order for it to be sustained we had to suspend use of that but long term the legality of that is a problem because 
you know, local authorities have to be fair and equitable in the way they allocate homes or or encourage the allocation of homes. So in, in the longer term, that, that couldn't be sustained as a, as a way forward. But there needs to be, you know, and, you know, this still hasn't been done, but there needs to be an ongoing commitment to a quota of all tenancies that become available going to homeless people. Mm. And, and so potentially that could be 10, 20% of all social lets over a period, you know, over a year need to be allocated to help house homeless people. And anecdotally, I've been speaking to some of the staff since obviously the, the project closed down last year. I've been speaking to some of the staff involved in it and it started to revert back and the numbers are climbing in temporary accommodation again and the costs are going out of the city into temporary accommodation again. Mm. So, you know, the, the reality is we proved how to do it. We proved it could be done. I think the challenge when people are taken out of that leadership role is, you know, I'm not there anymore. And, you know, one of the other people who helped me isn't there anymore. So the reality is that when key people are taken out of that mix, the leadership of it might stall. And so it's really important that if you've got a project, it needs to be led properly. There needs to be clarity at the outset. You need to be honest with each other about what's required. And you need to be quite bullish. And sometimes I have to be quite bullish and said, you know, I need this. I need this information. You know, we're not having people languishing in, and, and rotting away in temporary accommodation. You know, families living in one room when we've got the capacity here to do something about it and the capability. So it was very much pushing people for the information we needed. And, and that was a different way of working, I think, for some of the local authority officers. But in, in terms of the whole project, it worked well because, you know, not being funny, it had to be led properly and it had to be led properly and people had to be brought together for a common purpose. And that common purpose was changing those lives. And that's what we did. And I think the other key thing for me is about the furnishings and the the complete package of furnishings, you know, and that will have been a really significant issue, I would have thought. You know, I would have thought that would have been a big, made a massive difference for people moving into those properties and setting up those tenancies right and getting people set up right from the beginning. Because otherwise you move someone into a shell, they're set up to fail, aren't they? Like you said, they don't. And it costs money and a lot of money to set up a house properly. Has there been any impact or anything from that? Has that, have you seen anywhere people are beginning to realise that that actually is something we need to be looking at better as well? Well, the industry does tend to look at those kinds of issues. I mean, it is patchy because some people will, you know, embrace things like furnished accommodation. Other people go, oh, it's too scary. You know, mm. what do you do when they move out? Well, you change the mattress, you clean it up a bit and you move the next person in. I mean, it's not difficult stuff. Private sector do it all the time. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, Private sector so, landlords listening will be like, yeah, this is what we do. It's yeah. bread and butter. You know, it's it's not difficult stuff, is it? No. It's like if you're letting your own home, that's mm. what you do, isn't it? Mm. So, so I think sometimes getting people to see how you do something differently you know, is is a challenge. Um, and but you know, I think the furnishings we, we, we did an independent study. Um, so the Liverpool City Region did an independent re- research study 
into the project to see what lessons were learned and what savings will have been made. And, and the reality is it's not just the money that we saved in, in respect of the, the, um, the, the, the cost of the temporary accommodation. You know, the hotel costs were the least of it, really, because it's the knock-on costs on mental health, on the NHS, on the criminal justice system when people then get churned again because they can't settle, so they end up committing crimes. You know, there's a whole host of other mm. knock-on costs that are, are incurred when somebody is on the street, that when you house them in a permanent furnished home, and it costs around £1,500 to furnish each home. So you 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 move people into a furnished home. It's in an area they want to live in. It's in a community they feel safe in. They've got ongoing support for six months. What's not to love? Mm. And, you know, it. It the, the proof of the pudding for me is in only 18 people reverting back to the street. And, you know, in, in the in the majority of other cases and other homeless, you know, examples around the, around the country, if they examine the attrition rate of, of people reverting back to their former way of life, well, look at the process, look at what you're doing and look at what we did and talk to me, you know, if you want me to come and give you some help, advice where you are, I'm quite happy to go and do that because it, sometimes it's just about asking the why well why are you doing it like that why don't you do this have you not tried this have you not tried that and sometimes people are fixed in their entrenched view and there's a real opportunity here to do it differently real opportunity to save even more lives and why wouldn't you do that yeah oh it's so it's really brilliant thank you thank you julie for sharing about it my dog's obviously decided to join in and so he's barking (laughs) in the background (laughs) but um Thank you. It was really great. We'll put your contact details in the show notes so people can find you. And um, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time. Take care. Thank you. No problem. You take care too. Thank you for listening. If you found this useful, then please do click the subscribe button and leave a review. If you enjoyed this episode, would you please consider telling someone else about it? Sharing the podcast really helps increase the reach of the show and I would be super grateful. Thank you.